Um, for those who don't know, my name's Ephraim, and it's a privilege to be one of the pastors here at Ecclesia. If you're visiting, it's good to see you. And if you're not visiting, it's good to see you too. What a blessing it is for us to be able to gather. What are you saying, Cain? You call my brother Alvin? Bless you, sis. Praise be to God. Um, what a privilege and a joy it is to be able to gather around God's word again, um, that he may speak to our hearts, nourish our souls, and draw us closer to him. And um, today we're going to have, in some ways, a part two, or a, 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 the next step, the progression, the continuation of our um, message from last week. And so, for those who weren't here, we podcast everything. You can find us on sermon.net or on iTunes as Ecclesia, um, and you can find last week's message there. I encourage you to listen to that. Um, and last week we talked about the fact that God has set apart a people for his glory, and hence that being um, central to our identity as a local church, being known as the Ecclesia, God's people for his glory. And we talked about the glory of God and what the glory of God in real terms is to us and what it means to glorify God. And, you know, even after considering weeks past, we hear a, a, a message from God's word. And believe me, as I'm sharing, I am preaching to myself. Amen? Amen? You know that we need to preach to ourselves, you know. Like, we say it all the time, you know, David's speaking in the Psalms and he's saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's not talking to someone else when he's saying that in the first instance. He's speaking to himself. And we need to minister to ourselves. Sometimes we find ourselves in those situations when there isn't anyone on the left or on the right. There's no one ahead of us we can reach out to and no one beside us or behind us. We, it's just us and God in that scenario. You ever been in that place? You ever been in that place where it's just you and God? And all you can do is just minister to your own soul as you reach out to the Lord. And so we need to learn how to minister to ourselves. We need to learn how to preach to ourselves and apply the gospel to our hearts as we walk with Jesus. And so, may we be encouraged, you know, during the course of the week to do that as we receive the word. And as much as you might not remember the detail, no doubt there's an impartation of truth that, has, that you've received as you've meditated on the word, as you've heard the word, as you've engaged with the word. Strength is imparted to your soul because that's what happens by reason of the word of God. Now, what we do with that, how we respond to that, well, that's another thing. <clears throat> and that was partly our focus last time. We considered the glory of God being the revelation of the utmost importance and supreme impressiveness of God. And those words are lightweight in contrast to the meaning that's trying to be communicated. To say the utmost importance, to say the supreme impressiveness, almost suggests that God is at the top of a scale, when there is, or at the top of a category. There is no, God is in a category of his own. If there is no category for God. He's beyond categories. The infinite, almighty, omnipotent. How can you have a category for that? And so we understand that this is a, a sentiment that helps us to begin to grasp the reality of God's glory. And yet in that, we considered this quote from our brother in the faith, Paul Washer. To glorify God is to recognize God is greater, more valuable, more beautiful than all other things combined. And to live like we believe that. And so today, we, we turn our attention to the attitude and experience that embodies the person who seeks to glorify God. 
the attitude and experience that defines the one who seeks to live like God is greater, more valuable, more beautiful than all other things combined. So as we consider the matter of worship today, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do come before you. And Lord, we consider your goodness. We consider your power. We consider your might. And we do so feebly, Lord. We consider your greatness. We consider, Lord, your compassion and your love. Lord, we consider your holiness. And we do so, Lord, insufficiently because you are beyond our minds. You are beyond our ability to understand. You are God, the Most High. That in itself is enough, Lord. We could just finish right there. And yet, Lord, you invite us to have relationship with you on a level that even in and of itself blows our minds, Lord. And Lord, I pray, Lord, help us today to get a glimpse, to get a grasp of what it means to be in relationship with you. One who was made for your glory. Help us, Lord, I pray, because truly it will change our lives. Help us, Lord, I pray. In your name, amen. Huh. Now, as we turn our attention to the, the matter of worship, I'm going to center it around a, a couple of familiar verses. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets the woman, the Samaritan woman of the well. And here he's speaking with her, and in his conversation with her, he drops this, we, back in the day we used to call it heavy revy. Remember that, Rev? Certain man, certain man will go back to that heavy revy, you know. That was our Christianese back then. Heavy revelation. When someone drops some, some insight on you that you just, you're just like, whoo, oi, you catch that heavy revy, bruv. <laughs> and obviously that was, that was how Jesus functioned. Always dropping heavy revies. And so here we see him dropping a significant one in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Hmm. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, let me just clarify what this talk fundamentally today is not about. Because when we hear the term worship, even see these verses referred to as, you know, in, in my experience growing in the faith, there was um, often times when these verses were referred to and expounded on. And the primary focus of the conversation was that of singing to the Lord. Singing to the Lord. And so we use phrases like, let's enter into a time of worship. And what we, what we mean is, well, let's go into a time of, of singing to the Lord. 
or furthermore, back in our day, we learned that um, worship was actually the slow songs and praise was the up-tempo. Yeah? So you're praising God when you've got your groove on, but then when you get intimate now, just start to worship. Everybody around the building, just start to worship. Just raise your hands in worship. And that's what I understood worship to be. It was the, it was the, 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 the soft moments, the tender moments. And so as a worshiper, you would be defined by how, how readily and freely you might enter into those tender moments of singing to the Lord. But really, I've learned that this is a misrepresentation of what worship is. See? Worship is so much more than singing to the Lord. So much more than singing to the Lord. And yet, hear me good, it is not less than singing to the Lord. It is not less than singing to the Lord. So you can't exclude or eliminate singing as a, a genuine and necessary expression of worship. And we'll come to that towards the end. So from the outset, I set my stall out. When we speak of worship, and as I speak of it today, I'm not singing, I'm not talking about singing soft songs to the Lord, singing ballads to Jesus. What do I speak of? Hmm. Well, let's go back to the beginning. In our text, Jesus said, the hour is coming and is now here. It's, 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 this is the time when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So there are those who are true worshipers and those who are not true worshipers. Are you a true worshiper today? That in and of itself is a challenge. Are you a true worshiper today? See, that there are lots of people that claim to worship the Father. The Samaritan woman in the text claimed to worship the Father. She was talking about her heritage of worship. She was talking about, the question was, so where is it actually going to happen? Where does true worship actually happen? Because as Samaritans, we say it's on this mountain. And as Jews, you say it's on that mountain. And so, now she was trying to deflect the issue from the matter of her heart. And yet, even in this statement, Jesus brings it right back. True worshipers. True worshipers. Are you a true worshiper? Now, by God's grace, by the end of this message, you might be better able to respond and answer to that. But it says that the Father is seeking. There is an intentionality. There is a desire there being expressed. That the Father is seeking or looking for or pursuing True worshippers. Now, why would the Father have that expectation, that intention, to be able to find true worshippers? We go back to Genesis. Now, we understand and appreciate that in the beginning, God made. And there's something that we see in, these, in this first chapter of Genesis as it relates to God's work of creation. And we see a pattern happen in the first chapters of Genesis. And you might want to look there with me in your Bible.
Verse 1 tells us, in the beginning, God. Let me see if I can give you this at the same time. For those who don't have, there we go. No discussion, no debate. God is real. He's present. In the beginning, God. No qualification, clarification, or justification needed. Somebody once said, God is God all by himself. He doesn't need anyone else. God answers to no one. He is God. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. And then as we enter into verse 3, we begin to see a pattern repeated. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 4, and God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Verse 5, God called the light day and darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. So in the first instance, we see God separate light from darkness. And yet we see this pattern. God said, God saw, God separated, God called. God is present, God is at work. And we see this pattern continue. Verse 6, God said, as he makes the land and the sea. Verse 7, God made the expanse and separated. Verse 8, God called the expanse heaven. Verse 9, God said, let the waters under the heavens. Verse 10, God called. And at the end of verse 10, and God saw. And then we have the addition, and God saw that it was good. And so this pattern continues to develop, to grow, to proceed, almost to the point of reaching a crescendo. Verse 10, God called. And also, God saw. Verse 11, God said. Verse 12, God saw. Verse 14, God said. Verse 16, God made. Verse 17, God set. And God saw. Verse 20, God said. Verse 21, God created. End of verse 21, God saw that it was good. And so we see from the outset a personal being, a personal being who is acting personally. I'll come back to that. We then see in verse 24, as God prepares to create the animals, God said. Verse 25, God made and God saw that it was good. Now, I know I'm skipping through, so this isn't sinking on the screen. Let me... Um, Because I see some of you didn't walk with your Bibles and I'm trying to have compassion on you. <laughs> uh -huh. 
So God's made the animals. And we've seen three occasions God say that his work was good. He derived pleasure from the work of his hands, from that which he was doing. Then we get to the pinnacle, the climax, the high point of this experience. Because in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so, God purposes within the triune council of the Godhead to create man. Man who will have ascendancy and preeminence over all the rest of creation. And in verse 27, it tells us, God created man in his own image. Imagine all of the creation that has gone before, animals, mammals, land and sea, separation of light from darkness, and yet we see right here something unique, something strange, Something that even the angels would have been like, huh? God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we see an exceptional work here. Verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. God begins to, out, to, to outline the provision that he's made for man. You know, it's everything was made and then man was made. Man, man never came into a world that lacked anything. He didn't kind of sit down waiting for food. Provision was there. Our um, founding pastor, the late pastor Chuck Smith, used to have this phrase that God makes provision for the vision. God makes provision for the vision. Side note, sometimes you may have a real vision on your heart. You may have something that you really feel is a noble pursuit that will honor and glorify God, something that you're seeking after, but you lack the means. Sometimes that's a way in which God just puts a check in your path to say the time ain't quite right yet. It may not be that you're not to do that thing that he's put on your heart to do. It's not a matter of if it's God's will, it's a matter of if it's God's when. We see that with Abraham, right? God had given him the vision your seed will be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the, on, the, on the earth. I will give you a son. Years later, he's sitting down waiting. Can't wait anymore. Takes matters into his own hands. Tries to run ahead of God. Gets himself into problems. Ishmael, to this day. 
Ishmael, the father of the Arab nation. And yet, in God's timing, he fulfilled his promise to Abraham. Amen? So sometimes we just need to sit down, wait on the Lord, and allow him to work in us whilst he's perfecting that which concerns us. Side note, sorry, digression. Somebody needed to hear that, I guess. And yet, verse 29, God outlines <clears throat> all that's been given for food. Verse 30, and to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Now we see emphasis. We see an addition here. It wasn't just good as before. God looks now as he sees man, the pinnacle of his creation, at the heart of his creation, and he says, very good. You know, that contentment, that, that satisfaction, that delight, that pleasure. Why was it that God was so content? Why was it that God was so satisfied after the creation of male and female as he looked at all his creation? This to us is the key to what it really means to be a worshiper. What we see in this cycle, what we see in this cycle of God said and God saw, God called, God said, God made, God called. And we see this God said, God called, God saw. God, we see a personal God who is fulfilling a personal agenda to create people with the capacity to engage with him personally. God said, God communicated with intentionality. Now, why is this important? Because fundamentally, when you consider life outside of these walls, life outside of the, the Christian community, life outside of those who would be considered theists, we fundamentally have people who do not believe in God. People who say there is no God, that life came about by accident, not by intention. It was according to random chance. And yet, in our hearts, we know that this doesn't make sense. As we experience personal relationship, when we encounter birth and death and everything in between, everything in us says we, we are more than just an accident. And we read Genesis 1 and we see a personal God acting with intention. And we see a personal God communicating information. We see a personal God progressing relationship. Now, it's not until later that we get greater clarity concerning the triune nature of God. God is one being, three persons. And yet in that we see that eternally there has been an, an interactive relationship God by nature is relational. 
God by nature shares and exchanges life. And so it's no wonder that God then creates people who, not can, who can not only have that experience amongst ourselves, but more so are created in his image and likeness in order that we might be able to have that experience with God. Created in his image and his likeness in order that we might be able to have relationship. We understand that there is a sense of morality when God says, and it was good. It's right. It's true. It's proper. It's pleasing. Now, when you consider this, when you consider the creative work of God shaping that which he has spoken into existence, we see that there are dimensions beyond any other aspect of creation, beyond the animals on the earth and the, the sea creatures. God demonstrates the capacity that is beyond any other aspect of creation other than those people that he's made. The evolutionists will say, we're just a more highly evolved animal. Or maybe we're a, we're a mammal. And there is no doubt that there are certain characteristics that we share in common with them, but we far exceed the life of animals and mammals. That's obvious to see. When was the last time you walked through the zoo and saw... A, a, a five-story penthouse apartment in the gorilla pen that they, that they created over time by themselves of their own volition and intention. See, we understand that they have some of these, you see a bird's nest and you're like, yo, this bird's made a, a, a nest for itself and the, the chicks are in there and, you know, in due time when the chicks need to fly, they just shut them out and it's fly or die. <laughs> and we see some kind of order in creation and yet we recognize that it's a lesser expression than that which humans experience and are able to progress and to forward. And so... We, like God, are created with intention, with purpose. The capacity to exchange information. Don't say, oh yeah, but so do the whales. Their whale call can be heard for hundreds of miles around the globe. When was the last time you saw a whale conference in the depths of the ocean? <laughs> Seminar. Skyping. They have lesser capacities than that which God has given us. And God has given us these capacities in order that we might be able to glorify him. Because what does it mean to be made in his image or likeness? Now, there's a lot of debate around this. But it definitely relates to two things. That one, we are made to relate to him. And two, we are made to represent him. We are made to represent him as, as God's governors, his vice regents, carrying out his will according to his pleasure in ways that glorify him. And so we see the combination of intention and information and relationship and morality and creativity in a way that is not seen in any other aspect of creation. And this has been given by God that we might image him. 
it is said that in ancient empires, particularly in the Grecian and Roman empires, they would carve statues of their emperors in stone. And they would have them in key places and at key points in the empire as, as a, a visual representation of the emperor that ruled over that as aspect of the empire. Now, these stone carvings had some kind of resemblance. They had a representation of the emperor, but they were not the emperor. And yet we are God's workmanship, Ephesians tells us. Created for his good pleasure. And there is a sense in us actually being created to represent, but also to relate to God. We have purpose in our intention. God has given meaning to our lives as we exchange information. There is value as we relate to one another and add to one another's lives. Imaging God, glorifying Him. As we consider the, the moral capacity, we have laws, we have courts, we have statutes, we have civil order. Somebody said, yeah, but you don't you know about the law of the jungle. So you, you watch too much Lion Book, Lion, Lion King. Because that cannot be compared to the kind of sense of truth and right and justice that we have within us. Our creativity. To bring order out of disorder. Now, the reality is that if someone is an atheist, an agnostic, if they believe in the theory of evolution, none of this is true in their worldview. None of this makes any sense whatsoever. Humans are, are regarded as merely more evolved animals that are functioning on base instinct. You hear the phrase, survival of the fittest. And if you take the view to its logical extent, there should be no purpose, no meaning, no value, no absolute truth, no sense to our creativity. And so even in this, we image God. Even in this, the very people that blaspheme God, conveying information, trying to communicate meaning to you, to convince you that you're wrong. Even in that, they're imaging God. They're demonstrating a capacity that's God-given that is beyond that of the rest of creation. Huh. Wow. God is too good. God is too good. The fact that the Lord would tolerate us doing such things. He who has given us life, breath, meaning, purpose. That God is too good. <clears throat> and so this capacity to image God, to, to represent and relate to him, becomes corrupted. Chapter 3, Genesis Satan comes and calls into question the command that God gave to Adam and Eve. Standard procedure to try and promote unbelief through calling God's word into question. Now you can expand that principle to today. Because fundamentally that's what happens. When people say, oh, look, your Bible's full of contradictions, just like the devil, they're fundamentally saying, did God say? 
Is that really God's word? When they say the Bible talks about a loving God, but look at the world and all the evil that's in it, they're calling into question, is that what God is really like as represented in the word? And our first parents took that on. Eve bought into it. And they ate of the fruit that they were commanded not to. And in doing so, they rebelled against God. And sin entered into the world. Corruption followed. And the capacity to image God now becomes distorted. That statue has received a blow that has caused it to crack into a thousand fragments. And so we see now these fragments being held together all all in the wrong place and you kind of get this kind of sense of shape but you just, the image isn't there. It's not a true representation of the sovereign king. And yet, such is the uniqueness of humanity. God not only purposed a new creation where there would be a world with no sin, where there would be the quote-unquote happily ever after that Hollywood's always trying to promise us, but actually the means through which that would be experienced, where humanity would be able to be changed and restored to the image of God is actually by God taking on humanity. Such is the capacity for humanity to image God, to represent and to relate to God that God was able to step into human form without losing any of his divinity, still being God. 100% and yet 100% man and he lives the life that we should have lived and yet can't. He lived that life perfectly and he died the death that we should have died in punishment for our rebellion. Just, uh, you know what I said, just deserts. The person got their just desserts. I don't really understand the phrase. I don't know how how dessert relates to they got their just desserts. You guys can enlighten me. But hmm? the ending. Oh, the dessert is the end. Ah, thank you, sis. You see? Theology and community. (laughs) We are nearly at the end. So you're looking forward to you're looking forward to lunch, let alone dessert. <laughs> Got just desserts. The, it was just. Yeah, I can say it with vigor now. I really know what I'm talking about now. <laughs> the end that they got was the end that was the, the, the end that they deserved. Huh. And yet the Lord took our just dessert by the hand of the Father in order that we might experience his life and live in that renewed, regenerated, born-again capacity to image, reflect, represent, relate to God. And so in all of this, we see that God is looking for those people who walk in the reality of that. God is seeking those people who walk in the understanding of that. And those people are known as worshippers. People whose hearts have been renewed, who relate to God in such a way that they are completely surrendered and submitted to God. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody worships. Everybody worships. Because we were created to worship. 
But when a person is not worshipping God, they're worshipping idols. We know what that's like to worship that partner who we thought was going to make our life everything that it ought to be, that we desire it to be. Worship that job. We worship education. Worship our parents. And then they fail us. They flop. And our world shattered. Worship our kids. Trying to live vicariously through them. They're going to be everything that I wasn't. They're going to be better than me and have better opportunities. And they turn around and tell you about yourself and break your heart. <laughs> Ain't it the truth, bro? You see, worship is the purpose for which we were made. People are trying to fulfill that in other ways. Focusing on other things. Fundamentally, worshipping ourselves. Because that's what it boils down to. Every expression of idolatry, every expression of esteeming something in the place of God is us seeking to take the place of God. Rather than seeking his pleasure, rather than having, hearing him say, very good. Rather than hearing him say, well done. Rather than him taking pleasure in our lives, we desire to take pleasure in our lives, to gratify ourselves. Hence the fundamental call of the gospel. Deny yourself. That's not self-denial. So this week we're getting ready to have a time of prayer and fasting. Some of you are just like, Lord of mercy, help me Jesus. Not something that we kind of commonly engage in, some of us. I know the few of us that are prayer warriors. Every week you've got your day of fasting. Amen and hallelujah. That's why we're still here. <laughs> Listen. But the reality is for the notion of going without food. Some of us might miss a meal. We're busy, really you know, working hard, trying to get that assignment done, whatever. We might miss a meal. The notion of going 24 hours without food, intentionally. Nah. That's what you call self-denial. But that's not the denying of self. I said before, you know, some people say, you know what, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to not really kind of go all out on my fast, but I'll just kind of have a, a, a tailored fast. So, you know, I might miss lunch. I won't eat any. Snacks, Doritos, you know, um, chocolate bars. I won't get my coffee like I normally do from wherever you get your coffees from and whatever. And, you know, I'm not going to have any kind of dainties and so on. I just kind of keep it simple until dinner time. Okay, it's, you're still fasting. But that's an expression of self-denial because you've chosen to deny yourself certain things. You know, like when people talk about giving up things for Lent. I say, what are you giving up for Lent? And we're like, Lent? What is Lent? And they're like, are you a Christian? <laughs> you know what it was? You're going to give up chocolate for Lent? You're going to da-da-da-da. And it's kind of like that mentality of, I'm going to deny myself something in order to often demonstrate my real earnest commitment to show my nobility, to really, you know, be, to, to show that I'm, I'm going hard for this. But really, we're still pleasing ourselves. Because we choose to give up one thing whilst at the same time choosing to accept another. So don't get confused the denying of self with self-denial. The denying of self says, I am guilty. I am corrupt at heart. And in Christ Jesus, it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And so I'm not even being selective about the things that I'm going to give up or accept. It's not about me. It's about you, Lord. Hmm. And so it's all about Jesus, not selectively. 
This is the call of the gospel. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Recognize you've been crucified with Christ. And live. And it is in this that we enter into that zone, into that place of being a true worshiper. And the word for worship that's used is one that denotes the complete surrender, the complete abandonment. It is one who is on their face, prostrate. We talked last week about the glory of God being heavy, being weighty, to the point where even the, the priests in the temple could not minister. They had to get down. And that's the right response to God. And that's what worship, that's what this word means in the original language, proskuneo, to be prostrate and yet intimately related as one who, who kisses the face of another. That's what the posture of a worshiper's heart looks like. One whose heart is, we don't go through life crawling around like a marine on the floor. I'm worshiping God, I'm worshiping God. You come in the building, you're crawling on your face, I'm worshiping God. Obviously not. Practically, that makes no sense. But that's the posture of our hearts in everything that we do. Ravi Zachariah said this. Your heart longs for an intimacy that touches the heart and soul. The hope that God will give you in worship. Worship is the surrender of all of our being to God. Worship is the surrender of all of our being to God. Once worship is experienced and understood, that becomes a sacred ground from which all other decisions are made. Are you a true worshiper today? Are you seeking to worship God from the depth of your being, from the core of your heart, in that every decision that you make is submitted to the Lord? The decisions in the moment, as you reflect on certain things that have happened and how you approached it, and you evaluate that and analyze it, you know, you have this kind of, this inner monologue going on inside your, your head, and you're always thinking about stuff in life, and, and you're in here right now, and you're thinking about that, and you're thinking about tomorrow, and you're thinking about next week, and you're, in your reflections, as well as in your plans and in your moment-by-moment -moment decisions, everything being submitted to the Lord, it's all about you, Jesus. It's for you and for your glory, whatever. We know we need help, right? We need help. Because in order to be a true worshiper, we must be reliant on the Spirit of the Lord. Because in ourselves, that's not what we're about. We're about ourselves and our own pleasure and our own glory. And yet that worship is expressed as we express actions and sentiments and words submitted to God. And there are two ways in particular as we consider how we image God, there are two ways in particular that uniquely express worship to God. That's the ministry of God's word and the ministry of song. The preaching of God's word, we appreciate that it contains all of these things. Divine intention, information, relationship, morality, creativity. And yet when you consider actually as individuals, us opening our mouths and singing to God, we understand that that has a special and unique place. 
Because not only does it have all of those qualities, it also adds the one of emotion, where our very feelings are being expressed to God. So our mind, our wills, and our emotions are completely absorbed in this experience of seeking to communicate to God and about God his worth and his greatness. So when we come together to express ourselves in song as an act of worship to God, it's not just a, a feel-good moment. It's not just an optional extra that we engage in as we prepare to hear the ministry of the word. And when we have time afterwards, and some, some, some of us find it actually more motivating after the ministry of the word, when we've really set our minds on God, when we've really been encouraged and challenged and thought deeply on him to be able to open our mouths and even raise our hands to express worship to God in that moment in song. And it's significant to God because there are many other ways in which we can express worship and yet they don't have the combination of all of these things at that same time. You might say, but I'm not a good singer. And the word says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We get deluded by the, this, this kind of reality TV X Factor culture that we live in. That, you know, you can't open your mouth to sing unless you're going to sound like Beyonce or like Celine Dion or whoever it is, you know. You're going to, it's not about that. It's not a performance. It's relationship. And yet, it is for this purpose that God made us in his image and in his likeness. He made us with a frame. I heard somebody refer to the body as a, as a, as a cathedral of worship. We understand. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that the human body is a temple. And a temple is a what? A place of worship. Yeah? A temple is a place of worship. And our body is a temple within which we worship. And yet there is a sense in which, especially when we consider the, the aspect of information and relationship, that that has to be expressed. It cannot just reside in here, in our hearts. Well, I love God in my heart, you know, God knows my heart. God knows my heart, you know, gee, me and God is like, yeah. You feel me though, brother. But God says that needs to be expressed. How is that information inside of your heart going to come out and be real to others in a way that represents and enables them to relate to God? It needs to be expressed. And some of us, I said this before a couple weeks ago, and I say it again. Some of us are lacking in our Christian lives because we refuse to deny ourselves to open our mouths and declare God's worth to others. And we're looking at everyone else like they're the problem. You know, the church ain't giving me the teaching that I need. And oh, you know, my brethren, they're just not on it. Just, you know, I just can't find people that's really going to motivate me. The word is to you. And it is for now. And so we miss out on the joy of experiencing God as we represent him and relate him to others because we won't, we're more concerned with our own reputation and what people think of us. We're more concerned with the approval of others than the approval of God. And so we won't open our mouth and say nothing to no one about God. We live in the fear of men rather than the fear of God. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be, uh, 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 have a master's of divinity to be able to share your testimony of what God has done for you. 
And then many of us on top of that are missing out from that reality of, of engaging with God and interacting with God and experiencing God because we refuse to open our mouths and sing. Straight. And again, we're more concerned. Like, you know, maybe we could just t- close the blinds and turn the lights down and I might be able to get into it. And yet the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say who? You got to say so. I don't care what you think about me. I don't care how I look in front of you. I'm going to open my mouth and praise my God for whom I was made to glorify and give worship. And in that, you then begin to experience a dimension of, of what it means to relate to God. The God who's pursuing worshipers. Looking for, seeking after. As every aspect of your being is engaged with representing and relating to God. Listen, I saw, I saw a video last week of a praise team who were out in a shopping center, a shopping mall. Um, I forget the lady's name. It begins with J. It was like, like Jovan or something like that. I have to find it. And so she was out there with, her, with their praise team, and they was just singing a simple song of praise. But they were, they were smashing it. I mean, vocals. Now, that's what they do. And they, they said they were bold, and they said, we're just going to take this out into the shopping mall, and we're just going to share this. And they were just singing God's praise out there in the mall. And, I mean, you saw people all around stopping just to hear. It was like, what do they call it? A flash mob, right? When you just kind of turn up and do it. Unexpected. One comment on the, on the YouTube video. I'm an atheist, but this moves me. If I was there, I would have stopped. This is beautiful. This is a comment of an atheist who's going to actually take time to comment on a video of Christians singing the name of Jesus, glorifying the Lord. And so, may we be true worshippers who worship the Father in spirit and in truth. From the core of our being, there's debate over this word spirit as it relates to the worshiper. Is it the spirit of the person or the spirit of God? Well, it's uncertain. It's more likely the spirit of the person. But we understand that, as Jesus said in John chapter 3, unless a person is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So... The person's spirit must be regenerated through faith in the risen Christ. For worship to have its true meaning. Otherwise, people just fall into religion or whether they're worshipping football as their religion or they're worshipping celebrities as their religion because it's all an expression of worship. Michael, Michael! The crowds. as they're looking to Michael Jackson. Now, I know some of you love Michael. But it's okay. People talk about 2016, all these celebrities that died in 2016. Oh, what a terrible year. As if they're immortal. (laughs) As if they were never going to die. May we just kind of help people to take note, yeah, because they're just human. They have no power to save us, even themselves. There's only one who's worthy of worship, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us worship him. Amen, brother. Let us worship him in spirit and in truth, according to his will, according to his purpose, according to his design, not our own. Let us not settle for any substitutes, any imitations. Next week, we'll talk about the anatomy of praise. You lot are not ready. That's all I've got to say. You're not ready. Part three. So I'm going to ask the team to come back and join me.
just for a minute, I think maybe we need to take it back to the top, B. Um, I will worship, heart of worship. Let's take opportunity right now to apply what we understand, what we've heard. Because truly, the Lord is worthy. And we are uniquely created to worship him. Uniquely and exclusively. There is nothing else, no one else. <clears throat> Let's stand. Father God, we recognize that you have given us a unique place in your creation. As the pinnacle of your creation, created to represent, to relate to you, to image you. We thank you, Lord, for this privilege. Your word says in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13, that even your angels are sent to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. That even the angels who are greater in power and physical capacity than we are, Lord, are our, sent to serve us, Lord. Lord, we know that we just so need your help to be focused on the purpose for which you made us. That you are seeking to see fulfilled. That we would be worshippers with hearts completely and utterly surrendered. And that from this cathedral of praise, Lord, that is our bodies, as the breath flows from within us, that it would articulate sound that conveys information, that transmits meaning, that communicates that you are God and you alone. That we know you, Lord. We're submitted to you and we glorify you in all your greatness. Hallelujah. And that our lives of worship wouldn't be reduced to song only but that it would be nothing less than that, Lord. That we would declare your word, that we would do acts of kindness, that we would walk in obedience, that we would show love and care toward others, Lord. That all of this would be an, an outflow, an outpouring of worship. Our hearts submitted to you, adoring you, loving you. Thank you, Lord God. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.